Welcome to the Semper Reformato podcast, spreading the word and contending for the faith. In a moment or two, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians, chapter 3. But I want to, first of all, read a passage from Matthew's Gospel. Matthew, chapter 25, and verse 14. So Matthew 25 and 14, we hear God's word. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went out and traded with the same, and made them five other talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoned with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And he which had received the one talent came. And said, Lord, I knew thee, that thou wert an hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth, and lo, there thy hast that is thine. His Lord answered, and said unto him, Thy wicked and slothful servant, Thy newest that I weep reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thy oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it to him, give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not shall he Take, shall be taken away even that which he hath, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Ephesians chapter 3. 
Verse 2. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. Paul's under arrest when this is being written. He's already told us that in verse 1, as we saw last week. He is the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. And he's writing from a situation where he is chained to a Roman soldier. And he's waiting for a trial, a trial before Caesar. And yet, ultimately, his imprisonment is not the work of the Roman authorities or his Jewish accusers. It is the work of God. He is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was arrested by the Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road. And he has been made a captive. He has surrendered to God's will, whatever God's will might bring. Like Job, Paul could have said, even though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And right now, when he's writing here from Rome, it is God's will that he is imprisoned, that he is unable to be free. Because while he's in prison, he is still ministering to the Gentiles. He is still teaching. He is still preaching. He is still meeting people. He is still witnessing. He's witnessing. uh, And the Roman soldiers are hearing what he's saying. And even in the palace of Caesar, some are coming under conviction of sin and are coming to Christ and acknowledging him as Lord. And he's writing this letter. And he has been reminding the Ephesians, or teaching the Ephesians rather, that God has a plan for them. He has a plan to unite them with every other believer, Jew and Gentile, and to make them all one people. God only has one people that are his, from all of eternity. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in the church age, in the ages to come. And one day God will gather that united people together and he will put them on display so that all of the universe will see his greatness and his power and his plan of salvation and redemption and his kindness and his mercy and his grace. And they will give glory to God. Paul's so amazed by this. And he wants to pray for the Ephesian Christians. He wants to pray for them that in the light of what God has done for them, that they will then live for him, as he will explain in the remaining chapters of the book. But just as he's about to pray for them, something comes to mind. He remembers something through the work of the Holy Spirit and he begins to tell them how he received this amazing information that no one else has grasped in the way that he has. He received it as a direct revelation from God because he is an apostle. So in chapter 3, verse 2, down to verse 13, he goes into this 
digression of thought, as it's called, telling these Ephesian believers how he came to know that God is going to do this marvelous thing with all of his people. So I want tonight to look just at verse 2. And then later on, in the month of August, we'll move on to verse 3 and right down throughout the, the chapter to verse 13. Before we look at Paul's prayer, the verse 2 says, If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you, word. I want you to see that he starts off here making some assumptions. They're very authentic assumptions. He begins this verse, and remember it's not a separate verse, he's simply carrying on from verse 1 that we looked at last week. For this cause, Paul, I, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard. If ye have heard. And that strikes us as being interesting. Paul seems to be suggesting here that the people to whom he is writing know nothing a little about him. That they know nothing about his ministry. And yet, how could this be so? How could they not have heard? Paul is writing to a church at Ephesus, a church that he was instrumental in establishing, a church where he had preached, a church where he had taught, a church where he had worked for three solid years, a church where the elders loved him as a brother. Do you remember the scene that we read about in the book of Acts chapter 20 when Paul is saying farewell to the Ephesian elders where they entreat him not to leave them, where he says he will must go and that he will never see them again and they pray together and he preaches to them and they fall down and grasp him and they weep sore tears because he must leave them. It's a great bond between Paul and this church. Why is he saying, have you not heard of me? If you have heard of me. That has even caused in the past some liberal scholars to cast doubt on Paul's authorship of the book. I don't think that's even a possibility. I think that's complete nonsense. And here's why. Because what Paul is saying here, if ye have heard, in fact authenticates his writing of the book. He simply knows what believers are like. He knows what local assemblies are like. He knows, for example, that church membership can very often change very quickly. That's true of every church. Sometimes new families move into the area. Sometimes other people move away. Sometimes death takes its toll. Babies are born. Ephesus is no different. In the city of Ephesus itself, there's an ever-changing population. Ephesus is a huge city. Traders come into it. They come to do business. People like Aquila and Priscilla were there. They were suppliers of tents. They traveled round the Roman world making and selling their products. So these commercial travelers would come into the town. Some would come into the local Christian church. And of course in Ephesus, there's this huge uh, tourist trade, isn't there? There's this pagan temple right in the middle of the town. And people traveled from all over the world to see it. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. 
And of these tourists, they were complete pagans. Now, if this church in Ephesus is as evangelistic as it was in Paul's day, you can be absolutely sure that there were Christians out mingling with those tourists. They were witnessing for Christ. They were talking about the Savior. They were talking about true religion rather than the false religion of the pagan temple. I have no doubt that some of those pagans would have come to Christ. It had happened in the past, hadn't it? When Paul was there, there had been a riot because of the the loss of income for the people who were making idols for the for the pagan temple. Some of those pagans may have come into fellowship since Paul left Ephesus, maybe just around a year before. But he also knows that we're human. And he knows that we forget. And he's talking here about a particular aspect of his ministry. He's taught them many things. He's taught them the gospel. He's taught them about the word of God. He's taught them to trust the Lord. He's been spending hours and hours every day teaching people the way of the Lord. And this is just one simple aspect of that great body of truth that he was teaching. Who could remember it all? I looked on Sermon Audio, and and I think over the past few years I have preached here over 200 sermons. Do you remember the one I preached five years ago on the book of Joel? Wasn't it great? I don't remember it. You don't remember everything I've said. Who would remember everything Paul had said in that intensive three years in the city of Ephesus? Paul would need to remind them. Of course, no pastor, no preacher should ever assume that everyone in the congregation understands everything they say. But maybe the most convincing explanation of this phrase is simply the fact that these letters are going to be read widely. They're going to be read in Ephesus, but they're going to be spread out. When they have been read publicly in the church in Ephesus, they're going to be read in other churches. They're going to be read in other churches in Asia Minor, and they're going to spread, and they're going to be read in other churches in Greece, and they're going to be read in Syria, and they're going to be read here in Temple Patrick over 2,000 years later. And Paul says, if you've heard of me, you see, Paul was deeply conscious, as we'll see in a few weeks' time, Paul was deeply conscious here that what he was writing was no ordinary letter, that it would become the word of God under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as it was incorporated into the canon of Scripture. Paul's encouraging this sharing of pastoral resources. He does it when he writes to the church at Colossae. And he tells us that the epistle that is being read there is also to be read in Laodicea. The credibility of the authorship of the epistle is not in question. What we're seeing here is Paul doing what we should do knowing that church membership changes, knowing that people are human and they can't take in everything or understand everything and 
that his writing was going to be the writing of an apostle. And so incorporated into God's word and read widely, not just throughout the world, but throughout history until the Lord comes. Very authentic assumptions indeed. And we look more at that doctrine of revelation in a few weeks' time. So Paul says, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God. The next thing we need to look at is Paul's status as an appointed agent. Come to an interesting word, a word that requires some explanation. What does Paul mean when he talks here about the dispensation of the grace of God? The word that the AV translates as dispensation is the Greek word oikonomia. It's one of those combination words that we have in New Testament Greek. Oikos is a house, and nomos is law. And literally put together, this word, the oikonomos, was someone who laid down the law in the household. I'm not talking about the wife. I'm talking here about a steward. So some translations will translate this word if you have heard of the stewardship of the grace of God, which is given to me. A man who was a steward would be someone who would be like a man who ruled a large estate or a man in charge of a large house on behalf of the owner of the property. He's not the owner. He simply carries the authority of the owner. He would be a slave. He'd be a trusted servant, someone who would regulate and order the household, somebody who would take responsibility for the daily tasks of those who were underneath him, those who would make sure that the crops were grown and gathered, the animals cared for, that food is brought in, that the staff run the house like a well-oiled machine, I suppose a wee bit like a butler in some of those old English county houses of the last century. And Paul is a steward. He's a servant of Jesus Christ. He's a slave. He's not the principal. That's the Lord Jesus, the owner of the house. But he's not over anyone else. He's not a pope or a cardinal or an overlord. He is simply a servant who has been appointed to a particular task as a steward in God's household, working with his fellow workers, working to see that his master's will is done, working to see that the master's law is obeyed, working to see that the master's plans are brought to fruition. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 17, he says, For I do this thing willingly. And I have a reward. But I do it against my will. A dispensation, a stewardship of the gospel is committed unto me. In Colossians 1 and verse 25, he says, I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So Paul knows his place in the church. He is acting as an apostle. It's important to understand this as we move forward. He is God's agent. He is working on this earth, and he is doing God's will. Now let's see what he's doing. 
the agent's assignment. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, what's the task of this appointed agent, this steward? It's that he is to be the steward of God's grace. It's a very specific task indeed. It is to share the grace of God. One of the main responsibilities of the ancient steward in Paul's time, and probably, I suppose, the English butler also, was to make a distribution of resources. The word itself refers to a process of dispensing someone, a dispensation, the dispensing or dispersal or disbursement or distribution of money and resources. Bills must be paid. Servants must be given their fair wages. Food and supplies must be bought. The steward was a kind of a conduit for the master to distribute his funds and to be entrusted with that distribution was a huge responsibility. Steward must be honest. Steward must act fairly. And the steward must show profit for the master's investments. Now think about this. Because God's greatest resource for us, the greatest thing that we have given to us by God, which needs to be stewarded and served out and widely distributed, is his grace. The grace of God. The greatest resource that ever there was. The knowledge that our sins can be forgiven, not through any merit of ours, but only through Christ, through God's unmerited favor, his willingness to forgive all of those who come to Christ in faith. That knowledge, that grace, that good news must be widely distributed. And Paul sees that as his responsibility. For one day he will answer to the master himself for how he acted as the steward of God's grace. In Paul's sense, that was a very particular calling as an apostle. But in some sense, we are all stewards of God's grace. In some sense, the entire church is in itself the dispensary of the grace of God. Jesus himself illustrated this for us in Matthew 26. In that parable that we read together, the parable of the talents, he talks about a man who is going away for a time. And so he gave responsibility for his affairs to three servants. Let's call them three stewards of his resources. So one of these stewards got five talents, a sum of money. Another got two, and the third got one. And the master went away. And then he returned, and he asked the servants, the stewards, to account with what to account for what they had done with his investments. Think of their answers. We read in Matthew twenty-five that he who had brought the who had received the five talents came and brought another five talents. That was ten. 
saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. And his Lord said unto him, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And the same thing with the man who had been given two talents. That steward also came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two more talents beside them. And his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. They had taken their responsibilities seriously. They had been given the master's resources and they have widely distributed them and they have wisely spent them and they have earned his commendation and they were well rewarded and they were good and faithful servants. What of the man who had just one talent? No commendation for him. No well done for him. For he took the resource that he had been given by his master and he buried it in the ground and he hid it. So that when the master came back, all he had was the one talent. He'd been given a wonderful resource to be used for the master's kingdom, not to be covered up and preserved. Now this parable, this parable is not about how to invest your money. It's not about making sound profits. It's not financial advice. This prophet, this this parable is about the kingdom of God. Jesus said so in verse 14 of that chapter. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. This is about God's kingdom. This is about kingdom work. And such is God's grace. We have this wonderful resource given to us. We all have it in different ways. We, we have different talents. We have different ways that we can use the gifts that God has given to us. But the grace of God that we have been given is not to be buried within the walls of a church building. It's not to be brought out from time to time so that we can discuss it and have nice little meetings talking about God's grace and put it on show. It's not something that we philosophize about or write essays about. It's not something that we simply sit and discuss. The grace of God is God's resource for the saving of sinners. And we, as the stewards of the gospel, like Paul of old, are to take it outside these walls and to spread it around so that with the help of God, it will be multiplied. And when the Lord comes back, he will find that the resources of grace that he has given to us have been used for his kingdom. And others have come in. And there has been profit for our labor. And we will hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And lastly, I want you to see that Paul has his own order, his own area of stewardship. He says, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, 
which is given me to you, word. The wording's a little bit difficult for us modern people here. Given me to you, word literally just means that Paul is given a divine calling to exercise his stewardship of God's grace, his stewardship of the gospel, to a particular group of people. In his case, those who are outside the Jewish religion and culture. You go back to Acts chapter 9 and verse 15 and 16 after Paul's experience on the Damascus Road when he met the risen Lord personally. Ananias was instructed to go to this man and he was reluctant to go. And the Lord said unto Ananias, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was to preach the gospel to everyone, high and low, to the children of Israel, but also to the Gentiles. It's not an exclusive list. Uh, No one's to be excluded. Paul is to preach to everyone wherever he was. But this unique calling was added to bring the message of grace to the lost sheep who were not of the fold of Israel. So we too have specific callings. For some, the dispensation of the grace of God The spreading around of the gospel may be on a foreign mission field. For others, it may be a home mission or in a church or in the Lord's work as a teacher in the Sabbath school, as a youth worker, maybe just even as a prayer warrior, just to share God's goodness and love with a neighbor or a friend or a family member Maybe just to speak a word in season. But every one of us who knows the Lord are stewards of his grace, just as much as Paul was. So let us never bury that gospel asset, that great resource, the good news that Christ died for sinners. Let's not keep it to ourselves and enjoy it for ourselves. Let us freely distribute it as much as we are able. Paul freely and widely dispenses God's grace in the place where the Lord has put him, even when God's will leads him into a time of confinement. That is not a time to sit back and to bewail his fate. It is to say, I am here in this prison so that you Gentiles may be blessed. Verse 13. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So what have we learned? Paul certainly knows his place in God's church. He's a servant of God with great responsibilities and one day he will give account of those. It is his responsibility to be an under-steward of God, a man whose 
dispensing the grace of God to others, who's freely preaching the gospel, the good news, telling others of the forgiveness there is in Christ. But he also knows his purpose. He has been called by God to bring this message of hope for all of eternity to those who have not heard it before, whatever the cost may be. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please help to make it better known by opening the podcast app on your phone or mobile device. Then, search for The Semper Reformata Podcast. Subscribe and give it a 5-star rating. See you next time.